Hello, I'm Dr. Rebecca Sun, Director of the Peregrine Centre. As we begin this episode of the Peregrine Rural Mental Health Podcast, please join me in stopping to consider the land beneath your feet, wherever you might be listening from today. Let's take a moment together to acknowledge the traditional owners of that land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders of the past, those of the present, and the emerging elders of tomorrow. The Peregrine Rural Mental Health Podcast is brought to you as part of our Rural Mental Health Partnership with New South Wales Health. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Peregrine Rural Mental Health Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Rebecca Sung, uh, and I welcome you to this episode and welcome our guest, Chris Baston. Chris, uh, would you like to just introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely, and thank you for the invitation. It's wonderful to be here talking. I am a Sydney-based clinical psychologist who has spent a lot of time working for New South Wales Health in public health, and now I focus on training and consulting you know, in the suburbs. Yeah, great. Mm. And you're here to talk about one particular topic, which is one of our most requested topics, which is... Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, or CBT, uh, it's something that people often say, I'd like to know more about that, or I, I hear a lot from perhaps referrals or perhaps from uh, other clients that CBT might be something they're interested in. I know this is a hard question, but in a very short kind of space of time, can you tell us what is Cognitive Behaviour Therapy? Absolutely. CBT, as it's known, is a psychological therapy for emotional and behavioural problems that is characterised by active collaboration between the therapist and client and is focused on unhelpful cognitions. And cognitions include automatic thoughts like how we interpret a a situation, self-evaluative thoughts, comparison thoughts, assumptions, and also underlying rules and core beliefs. So there's a lot of cognitions that we focus on. Specific strategies include teaching people how to mindfully note the contents of their mind, teaching people how to question the helpfulness and accuracy of these thoughts, conducting together behavioural experiments to change things and disprove their thoughts, and if necessary, deliberate exposure to feared situations and feared thoughts. So uh, when we think about cognitive behaviour therapy, we're often thinking about what's happening in the the mind, as you said, and then what people are doing, that kind of behavioural stuff. Really good summary, exactly. Great. Okay. So as you know, we ask each of our guests to bring five resources. And really the point of this episode is, you know, how do people get started in CBT? Obviously, CBT is very popular. There must be a million resources on the internet or through Hetty. So when we're thinking about the five resources that you would recommend for a beginner, maybe we'll just start with your first two. What what first two resources might you Mm. recommend to a rural mental health practitioner? I would definitely start with the online written information from the um, uh, WA Health Department, CCI, that's the Centre for Clinical Interventions. And they've got really good people that have spent 
years developing modules, CBT modules, for the most common presenting problems and some of the less frequent ones. So they've got CBT modules. These are for clients, so mm-hmm. but the clinician can learn from that. And you, when you read through their handouts, you see how they think, how they explain CBT to their clients, and then they've got worksheets for clients, they've got monitoring forms. It's really beautiful, and it's culturally useful because it's Aussie. They've got a few references and readings on how to adapt to Indigenous populations. So my top would be to browse through all of the content on the CCI website, cci.health.wa.gov.au. My second go-to would be, you know, there's lots of textbooks and you write lots and lots of things that you'll find mm. online. I think if you, a nice way to look at it, again, is through a workbook. Mm. David Clark is one of one of the better writers. He's an English um, clean psych and he's got a workbook called The Negative Thoughts Workbook. CBT skills to overcome um, the repetitive worry, shame, and rumination. So it's quite broad. It's deliberately transdiagnostic. It covers, you know, worry and self-esteem and depression and anxiety disorders. So they're my top two, mm-hmm. and there's some others as well that I can give you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We might double back to them. Sure. So you've mentioned a couple of kind of key concepts, I suppose, from the CBT. And often we ask people to bring, let's say, four key concepts from their model. Mm. When we think about CBT and the key concepts, I mean, obviously, on a very simple level, it's a bit about thoughts, it's a bit about what people do. That's straightforward. But we know that CBT is anything but straightforward. It's not a magic wand. So where would you start if somebody was saying, well, how do I understand what is included in the CBT model? What key concepts would you start with? I think the the fundamental point to start with is that all humans are cognitive creatures. Mm-hmm. The human brain is just a cognitive machine. We, we are interpreting the world all the time. We're making assumptions. We're making predictions all the time. We don't think facts. We think thoughts. So whatever work we do, we end up doing some form of cognitive therapy we have to right right. and everybody's already a little bit of a cognitive therapist we already chat to ourselves yes we try to sort out our feelings we reassure ourselves but we don't do it in a very healthy way so my number one point is that we are cognitive creatures and the human brain is a cognition machine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when you you speak about this idea of talking to ourselves i think that's Mm. really interesting because obviously i work in parenting and we do spend a lot of time saying to kids, you know, calm down or mm. it's not a, as big a deal as you think it is or those kinds of things. And so that idea about having an inner voice that kind of says to us, uh, let's make sense of the world. How do we interpret what's going on in a way that's helpful? That That's a, a pretty key concept, right? And that, that mm-hmm. idea about the mind and Probably not a unique concept, I suppose, to to just CBT. There are Mm. other models who also think about the mind, so to speak. What other key concepts do you think really separate CBT from some of the other models? There are two key concepts that I'll put together. The first one is that these automatic thoughts, interpretations, judgments, comparisons that we're making, these cognitions, they're not always accurate and helpful. And... It is these cognitions, these interpretations of the world and ourselves that drive our emotion 
and our stuck behaviours more than any actual situation or event. Mm-hmm. Um, they're present moment, they're accessible in the present moment, as opposed to, say, having to interpret the unconscious mind or go back in deep into childhood, which is often very, very relevant. But the nice thing about CBT is that the thoughts and assumptions and predictions that are affecting a person right now, they are accessible now and they're modifiable. Yeah, that, that's an important part of it, isn't it? That there's something you can do about it. You've got a computer that is your mind and it's spitting out output and, and you're just having to live with that. So, okay, that's three concepts. Have you got one mm-hmm. more key concept that you think would be really important for people to think well, about? Well, we, we just nearly touched on it, both, both of us, and that is that there's a wide range of known techniques that help people to change their behavioural traps and their emotions depending on what the presenting problem is. So if we put that together, the human brain is constantly producing thoughts and interpretations. They're not always accurate or helpful. Everybody can learn how to notice their thoughts and there are known interventions to help people to actually change their thinking style um, in a way that actually treats serious mental health problems. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. a powerful form of therapy. Mm So I guess that leads us to doubling back perhaps to your the rest of your resources that you would be recommending because I'm imagining most of them would be related to those concepts that you've just outlined there. What are your last three resources that you would recommend? If somebody wanted to, to study a bit more and dig a bit deeper, I can strongly recommend a book by Judith Beck called CBT, Basics and Beyond very nicely explained, some good examples. The American Psychiatric Association has a, has a nice book as well called Learning Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, an illustrated guide. Mm-hmm. It's quite readable. Mm-hmm. And if you prefer an audio book, I recommend one by Seth Gillian, Cognitive Behaviour Therapy Made Simple. 10 strategies. Mm. That's a good one for car trips yes. and walking. Well, yes. And, and many of our listeners mm. do say to us, we, I listen to the podcast in the car. We do know that rural mental health practitioners spend a lot of time on the road. And Absolutely. Sometimes yeah. That's the only time they really have to, to be upskilling. Mm-hmm. So that's a great recommendation. Okay. So I, then I did also ask you to bring three signs that the person I'm working with might benefit from CBT. That's a bit of an unusual question for for this particular model because, of course, CBT is very widely used. There are lots and lots of different, uh, as you say, resources like CBT for A, B or C. The idea about how would I know, how would I start to think, oh, maybe this particular client or person that I'm seeing would really benefit from CBT. What are the signs I'm looking for? You're right. It is a bit tricky to answer that. Although... I think we can say the following, that if any of your clients or consumers are affected predominantly by anxiety, that is a sign Mm -hmm. that you can be doing cognitive Mm -hmm. therapy. Any of the anxiety disorders or worry or just anxiety, and that is because anxiety is to a very large degree produced by the, what in cognitive therapy jargon, the appraisal of threat. The mind has decided that there's a threat and you're not going to cope with it very well. So anxiety. Secondly, low self-worth and low confidence. Again, that's because it's just driven definitely by cognition. We're evaluating ourselves and judging 
that we can't cope or that we're not adequate. That feeling of inadequacy or defectiveness mm-hmm. is cognitively mm-hmm. maintained and driven. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'll broaden it out and say any self-defeating behavioural patterns, whatever that is, somebody who's incredibly under-assertive, somebody who's going through cycles of self-medicating addiction, somebody that won't have a go at things because they're self-doubting, or if their depression is um, slowing them down and inhibiting them, then we can do behavioural interventions and we can target their cognitions. So, I mean, that's an interesting phrase, self-defeating behavioural patterns. I guess uh, those things that you've just described, that kind of shooting yourself in the foot kind of stuff, the things that are not getting the person where they want to go, is that how you would kind of break that down? Yes, that's right. That's right. And in CBT, what we do is we draw a a little sketch with the client of what the behaviour is and what the maintaining factors are Mm. with high levels of compassion. Good CBT is very rich in teaching self-compassion where we say, in what way is it understandable that you keep doing this thing Mm. that keeps you stuck or unhappy Mm -hmm. or causes Mm -hmm. these problems? Mm. And then we go about collaboratively weakening or stopping these maintaining factors. Mm -hmm. And it sort of brings me to a a question that I get asked a lot about CBT, Chris. You know, I've got some uh, client or somebody seeing me who has trouble identifying their thoughts or when I ask them about their inner experience, it's very hard for them to talk about it or enunciate exactly what's going on for them. And that's often connected with a history of, let's say, complex trauma or, you know, they've been through a lot or they're really in a quite chaotic state. Is that something that you'd still be thinking about for CBT? And what, what are some of the kind of cautions about working with a person who's in that particular mindset? I'm really glad you asked. That that would be my modal client. Mm. But my most common client has a history of some form of trauma um, and very negative life events, often repeated throughout childhood. Mm. So in cognitive therapy, the cognition that we're targeting here is more the underlying deeply held core beliefs, and a belief is a cognition mm. um, that we acquire through these messages in life. And schema therapy targets a schema is an early formed emotionally rich core belief and it's one arm of cognitive therapy Mm. so we draw a sketch with the client demonstrating that their current constant stream of cognition the engine that's producing all these self-doubting thoughts or anxious thoughts or and so on is coming through the lens of their core beliefs and we can see that those core beliefs came from their childhood Mm. and so we take time to help them to weaken those underlying schemas or core beliefs while at the same time maybe working at the surface level of behaviour and automatic thoughts as well. Mm. Mm. I haven't heard that, that particular metaphor but that idea about the engine producing all these difficult automatic thoughts coming from this kind of repeated experience in childhood. So um, what are two common mistakes you see people make when they come to CBT, they're trying it for the first time, I'm sure you've been involved in training. Well, what are two mistakes you see lots of new therapists or new practitioners make? Well, I can share with you the mistakes that I made when mm. I was, I was learning CBT. <laughs> and I think others do the same thing too, is that it's easy for us to become very 
technique focused mm. and procedural, i.e., you know, we might rush in to find the right monitoring form. Self-monitoring is a fundamental part of CBT, mm-hmm. for instance, um, or psychoeducation or getting people to do things. That, that will come with time. We can remedy that by getting to know the client and prioritizing the therapeutic relationship and making sure we've got a, a really good individual case formulation. Mm-hmm. And when the client's on site and they really feel you know, heard and believed and helped, um, then we can bring in the techniques and mm-hmm. interventions. Mm-hmm. That's an important point, isn't it? Because I think that uh, people from the outside can sometimes think, oh, CBT, that's that one where it's based on techniques and it's a bit bloodless and it's a bit kind of not about the person or it's a bit generic. But um, good CBT, real CBT is very focused on this idea about the collaboration, right, between the practitioner and the Absolutely. person. Absolutely. Yes, it really is, Rebecca. It's um, it's a form of psychotherapy. And when it was first described and developed, it was written by very good therapists who all had humanistic and psychodynamic training. And then they added these techniques that just supercharge the therapy. Mm-hmm. You can get going quicker mm-hmm. when you help people to identify their thoughts and their um, behavioral maintaining factors. It was assumed that you would be working on the therapeutic relationship yes. and working hard to get on side with the client. That's, that is often understated in the books and the book mm-hmm. chapters and mm-hmm. the manuals, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess an advantage for the rural mental health practitioners, often they've got skills in that already. You know, they're perhaps part of the community already or they know this person well or they've been working with them or going the extra mile, driving out to see them, those kinds of things. So they've got all that kind of base camp set up. And as you say, then there's this kind of little extra uh, set of techniques that may well assist them to move forward with that person. That's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, and and keeping it collaborative, asking the client if they're interested in learning more. Mm. Uh, are they interested in seeing how A and B and C are actually connected? Mm. It really reminds me of sometimes when you get feedback from perhaps clients, perhaps practitioners who say CBT doesn't work for me. One of the really common kind of pieces of feedback is I felt like I was getting in an argument with my client. You know, I was trying to convince them that their thoughts were wrong or their thoughts were silly or whatever. But that's, a, a, I would imagine, a pretty common mistake with people who are starting with CBT. We can slip into that sometimes, because, especially if, if we can see that a client's thinking is very unhelpful for them mm. and also not necessarily logical. If we become the persuader and saying, oh, let's see this, mm. it's now we are no longer the therapist, we're the persuader. Mm. And I know that, Rebecca, and I still <laughs> find myself slipping into that. Yeah, yeah. And it's very easy to pull out of it. You just say, look, I'm sorry that I'll actually acknowledge that and say, look, th- we've drifted into yes. something that's a bit untherapeutic here. Yeah. Let's come back and let's go back to where we started and then use more questions to draw out from the client what they think the problem might be and go back to that little picture that we sketched. So maybe they can, and the picture, the sketch of the individual case formulation helps you to come along the same side as your client and just help their reflection. And you look at it together going, I wonder what could be going on here. I wonder if there was some, if there was some way that you could change your thinking 
would you be interested in that? Or if we, I wonder if there was some safe way to do an experiment to test out what you're thinking mm. when I might be thinking it's really clear that this <laughs> is not helpful and mm. it's not logical, mm. but we're just inviting them with questions. So mm. we slow it down and work on the relationship. Mm. It sort of reminds me of, I know we were talking to Jenny Brown about Bowen family therapy and she said the, the idea about observation and curiosity when you, when you examine a sequence or whatever can be really powerful because obviously if a person comes to that conclusion themselves, that's really going to stick, whereas you know, something externally imposed often slips away as soon as people exit the therapy room. What about the second kind of common mistake for, for new CBT therapists? Well, I actually sort of already answered that a bit myself as, as we kept talking. And the second mistake is to – so the first one was rushing in with techniques and monitoring forms. The second one is just being too directive. Mm-hmm. And as I was just saying, we need to watch out for that yes, and actually right. pull back and, and keep using questions. When we feel like we want to make yeah. a point, we use questions to invite them to reflect – And along the way, we can always introduce information in the form of psychoeducation, which is a powerful technique. Um, We need to be cautious about telling people what to think and feel. That's not good therapy. How do do you manage that internally? Because that must be a very strong invitation to, as you say, if you see someone really doing something that does not seem to be working for them, there must be such temptation to say, hey... You know, can't you see that there's a really obvious cycle happening here? How do you manage that urge in yourself to get in and be mm. directive? That's a great question. Um, ever since I learnt mindfulness techniques and mindfulness meditation, I've been a better therapist because mm. I'm more likely to notice, I, I'm more likely to catch those urges, yeah, right. that sentiment. You know, and I'm, I think, out of self compassion, I, I push because I just want to help people. I've, yeah. I'm, you know, that's why I'm a psychologist mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. I've learned to notice that and I just give myself simple instructions that I've learned through supervision myself, like ask questions. Going three times slower in the end will actually probably get you there faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just um, keep – if you've got a point to make, ask it as a question mm-hmm. is my internal command. <laughs> and um, that brings up something that we're very passionate about, which is supervision and that idea about mm. having the space to really examine your practice and see if, you know, there are things that are tripping you up or um, ways in which you're interacting which are not getting you to where you want to go. Okay, so we always finish the episode with a one takeaway, the one thing that you would like people to really take away from this episode, particularly people who are just new to the idea of CBT or just interested in exploring it more. What, what would you say is your one takeaway message? I would say that CBT is a powerful form of psychotherapy that while it focuses on cognition and has techniques that really work, it requires attention to the therapeutic relationship mm. because those techniques have to fit into that context. Mm. I think that's such an important message, isn't it? Because sometimes people can be perhaps reading something on the internet or whatever and think, oh, this is about doing something or a worksheet or a mm. um, monitoring form, as you say. But actually, it's still about humans. It's still about you know that person-to-person connection and really bringing that compassion, as you say, and and that um, respect to to that relationship. 
that's not easy. That's a, a can be very difficult, and and in some ways can be quite a draining kind of experience. And we know we've heard from practitioners out there that sometimes it can feel really like a heavy burden to be managing all this stuff. How do you keep your stocks full? How do you keep your bucket full? How do you keep your um, humanity topped up when you're interacting with some clients who might be, in fact, uh, difficult to work with or be telling you stories which can be quite draining to hear? Rebecca, I have lots of ways because I do feel all of those things I can feel a bit assaulted by. Witnessing the trauma of others mm. uh, has a vicarious effect. We know that. And um, and we, we're giving a lot in one working day. You need to top yourself back mm. up. So, yes, I, I, d- I do use peer supervision. Absolutely. That would be my starting point mm. in the working week. And then um, really think about what I do outside of work, having, you know, divergent interests. I find ways that I can exercise mm. and get outdoors and be in nature, mm. be with the people that I want to be in. I work hard at those things mm. because you have to look after yourself. Mm. Yeah, And I think I've learned over, over time to be more compassionate w- towards everybody, including myself mm. as well, and just realize that that it's sometimes a privilege to help people through the hardest things in their life. And my clients work incredibly hard mm. to to tolerate going back through trauma or to tolerate anxiety in a treatment process. And I just have so much respect for that. So mm. I feel I feel privileged and excited sometimes, even during the hardest sessions, mm. to help them. Mm. I think that's a lovely note to to leave this episode on. Chris has offered us some wonderful resources and we will be listing those on our learning portal. People who have not yet signed up for the learning portal, they can sign up for free. It's easy to sign up and it's free for any rural mental health practitioner in New South Wales. So thank you so much, Chris, for being here with us today and thanks for this whirlwind tour of the CBT model. Um, I'm sure we'll get lots of questions and I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking to you again soon about this particular topic. But for now, thank you very much for coming in and we hope you found this episode helpful. Thank you for the invitation. No worries. I hope you found today's episode helpful. You'll find specially selected resources on this topic on our digital learning platform. To join the platform for free or to suggest questions or topics for further episodes, please visit our website, theperegrinecentre.com.au